0: Get started this morning. Very thankful that it is cooler outside today. I think we can all agree with that. It has been quite a warm week. It's getting good to be with you all. I do have one confession to make. Dan was getting a little nostalgic uh, today. Um, there were two types of people in church largely. Those who really love the handshaking time. And those who would be just fine if we didn't have it. I'm kind of one of those that would be just fine if we didn't have it. Um, But 16 years ago, yesterday on the 22nd, uh, I met my wife during a handshaking time at church. Uh, So um, she's going to hate that I say that. She is hating it that I'm saying that. Um, But uh, So that was the one handshaking time that I have actually uh, enjoyed. And um, we got married pretty soon thereafter. So we met in July 22nd. We were married on uh, April 26th, Um, but we just kind of knew that it was going to work, and um, she has been with me through many things and uh, many things together, and I'm so, so very thankful for her. Um, So, but... um, We're going to turn back the clock. We are done with Acts, so we are going to go back from the New Testament. We're going backwards to the Old Testament. We're not going to go as far back as we will for our study in Judges, but almost. We're going to go back to the time of uh, of of David before he was king, and we're going to look at David and Goliath this morning. So we'll talk about that more in a minute. But if you would open, so what we have is in the bulletin. What we have printed is verses one through seven. It's from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Um, I like that Bible for certain things because it has weights translated into pounds. Uh, It has lengths translated into feet and inches. And that's a lot easier for me to read than than cubits and shekels and all that type of stuff and try to figure all that out. It just means a little bit more to me. So I wanted to put verses 1 through 7 in that. And then 8 and on the verses we'll be reading are from the English Standard Version. So if you wonder why there's a different translation in the bulletin this morning... There is a reading for that. So our text will be 1 Samuel 17, verses 1 through 11. Then we're going to skip from 21, and we'll go through verses 51. So here now, the reading of God's word. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Socha and Judah, and camped between Sokah and Azekah, and Ephes Damim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill, And the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield-bearer was walking in front of him. He stood to the ranks of Israel and shouted, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of these Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Skipping down to verse 21. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw him, the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What should be done for the man who kills his Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, and struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and struck him, and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word in the time that we have together this morning. I pray that Christ would be magnified, and that your spirit would open our hearts and minds. pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. David and Goliath. Quite honestly, a story I don't remember not knowing. (laughs) I turn 42 uh, next week, and I've been in church my whole life. And I thought back to it, and my earliest memories of this story are sitting in a Sunday school room in Russellville, Arkansas, and this awful mustard-colored flannel graph uh, where they would put up, the various characters you know that came out as the stories were told now some of you may not know what a flannel graph is google it or ask your parents um, it was great technology at the time i remember this uh, song about uh, only a boy named david only a sling and stone and that's all i can remember of it but there was some song we used to sing about it and of course all of us boys were like yeah we're, we're, we're going to be david you know we're, we're going to have the courage that david had we're going to run out and we're going to do great things for god and this may be one of the most popular stories in the bible So much so that it's even crossed over into the non-Christian world. It's become a staple of modern colloquialisms of a a David versus Goliath story or a David versus Goliath matchup. You hear about that in way too many sports broadcasts and way too many sports commentaries. It's a bit overused at this point. Goliath, people are fascinated with with that. There's even a ride at uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain named Goliath where if you read the description, it calls it extreme. Uh, It drops about 250 feet and you get to about 85 miles per hour. And they say that roller coaster doesn't do enough to describe it. It's a hyper coaster. And so people are fascinated with this story. But by far the most common biblical usage, as I've I've gone through my 42 years of life and have been around church and Christian school and a Christian college and so forth, are the numerous sermons and books and, and movies and other things telling us how to use this story about how we're to go out and how we're to face the giants in our life. There's even fascination about the five smooth stones, what the five smooth stones represent. So what you need to put in your pocket so that you can go out and you too can be like David and have those stones the ready to conquer whatever's coming to you. But I'm going to burst a lot of bubbles out there this morning. And for those taking notes, this is the first thing on there. This is a story... Is not about how to face the giants in your life. This is not about how to face the giants in our life. Because a careful reading and study of this text shows this has nothing to do with the sling or stones or the size of Goliath or what Goliath did wrong in battle or what David did right in battle. But it's a story about faith, a faith that is deeply rooted in a God of the covenants. And so this morning, I want us to still look at three aspects of faith. That faith is strengthened by God's covenants. Faith shuns man's solutions. And faith seizes the victory promised by God. But first of all, let's look at the first one. Faith is strengthened by God's covenants. So day after day, for 40 days, as, as the army of Israel was on one, one mountain, and uh, the army of the Philistines was on another mountain with his, with his valley in between them, Goliath, this very large man, would come out, Into the valley with his proposition of a duel. And the word champion that's used there to describe Goliath, when you break it down in Hebrew, literally means the man in the middle. He was the one that would fight in duels with opposing armies, basically saying, Okay, I'm going to come out and fight for my side, and if I beat your guy, then all of your people will become our slaves. And you send out a guy, and if your guy beats me, then all of us will become your slaves. It's a pretty efficient way of fighting war. It's a lot less bloodshed. It's a lot less more economical. So pretty expeditious, if you ask me. But Goliath, So Goliath did cast an imposing figure. And we read about that in verses 1 through 7. Now, there are a lot of debates about Goliath's exact height. With some Jewish scholars saying that based on the height of people at the time and what a cubit was then and so on and so forth, they may have been more around 8 feet tall. But regardless of the, of the size, he was very tall and much taller than the Israelites. And he was covered in armor from head to toe that probably weighed more than some of the Israelite soldiers did. Not only that, we're told he was a very experienced fighter. Now, who was supposed to be Israel's champion in this situation? The average Israelite during this time period was estimated to be somewhere between five foot and five foot three. Now, we know Saul, on his description, was a head taller than everyone else in Israel. So most people believe that he was about six feet tall. So he definitely stood out in the crowd of Israelites. And for each of those 40 days, all of the army of Israel and Saul were in their encampment where they were, their king that God had allowed them to choose based on his size and on his physical appearance. They weren't only afraid, they were also dismayed at the situation that was around them. But then enters David into this story. This small, ruddy kid, who was likely no more than 15 years old at the time of this battle, whose dad didn't even consider him worthy to line up before the prophet Samuel in the chapter previous when the prophet Samuel came to Jesse and said, let me see all your sons because God's chosen one of them to be king. David was still on the field, and Jesse didn't even consider him worthy to bring forward to present before Samuel. But David makes a key observation about this giant. In spite of his height, in spite of his armor, In spite of all of his skill, this is an uncircumcised Philistine who is defying the armies of the living God. And therefore, he's bringing reproach upon Israel. Because he's an uncircumcised Philistine, therefore, he is not a member of the covenant. He's not a member of the covenant. He's not a follower of Yahweh. He has no right or place in this land that God has promised to the people of Israel. The people of the covenant. And his mere presence in this land where they were is a reproach to the nation, the people of the covenant. Now that's quite an incredible insight by by such a young man. But we know from the previous chapter that when, when Samuel did anoint David as king, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David at that time. And when the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. So this is God's chosen representative speaking and reminding his people about Yahweh and all of the benefits that they share in as covenant people. In spite of the truth that David's speaking, he's rebuked by his eldest brother, Eliab, who questions his motive, accuses him of evil in his heart, when David is the only one in this entire chapter who's doing anything and acting in righteousness. Now, the message is starting to spread more and more throughout the camp. And it even reaches Saul as David turns to more and more people asking what's going on and speaking words about this non-covenant giant reproaching the living God. Now, maybe it's a sign of faith growing amongst the army or just further disbelief and amusement at this small young man who's questioning the best of what Israel has to offer and he sees in front of him. But David, full of the spirit, who's full of faith in Yahweh, the God of the covenant, and the surety of God's covenant promises, steps forward in faith and says to Saul in verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and will fight with his Philistine. So faith is strengthened by God's covenants. Second, we see that faith shuns man's solutions. Of course, the failure to to believe in Yahweh and to believe in the covenant continues as Saul answers, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him because essentially you're a boy. And he's been a man of war since he's been a boy. And David presents some of his credentials of courage and skill that he would fought lions and he would fought bears as he'd been a shepherd. But ends with the most important statement in verse 36. He has defied the armies of the living God. You see, to David, the covenant matters. The honor of the Lord matters. David isn't going to stand around any longer and let this sin of unbelief in this entire camp continue. You see, Israel's first solution was to find an equal to Goliath. But Saul was ducking out on this one. Saul should have been the man in the middle. But then with David insisting on fighting, they then turn to the other only solution that they know. Armor. We better get some armor on this kid so he doesn't get killed. In fact, we're going to give him the best armor that we have. We're going to give him Saul's. So they put a six-foot man's armor on David, whom, as we've already said, was no older than 15 at this time. So he had an oversized helmet, likely a coat of bronze chainmail that was too heavy and was too long. And the ESV makes it sound a little kind here, saying he tried in vain to go. Meaning, basically, he wasn't getting anywhere with such a large man's armor on his tiny body. And how ridiculous must David have looked trying to walk around in Saul's armor, much less do anything else. So David took off the armor and did what he knew best. He was going to use his sling. And to use his sling, he needed to go pick out some stones. Even Goliath was disgusted by this display of this... This young, handsome man approaching him without an armor and just a sling. And Goliath is is, is personally insulted by this. He as if he's a dog that someone would come at him with sticks. Goliath then curses by his his false and, and utterly powerless gods and baits David into combat. Goliath doesn't understand why this young man doesn't fear approaching him. When for 40 days, the entire army of Israel has been petrified by just looking at this man. But not David, who breaks every rule of battle that Goliath understands. So faith shuns man's solutions. Third, we see that faith seizes the victory promised by God. David answers back to Goliath with full confidence in the covenant, showing that he already knows the outcome of the battle before any movement is made. He says to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and spear and with a javelin. All of these are weapons of man. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And when he says Lord of hosts, he invokes the covenant name that Israel had, Yahweh, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He further says to him, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Now, why is David going to do this? For a personal victory, no. So that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will deliver you into our hand. Now that's an interesting change in pronouns there, and one that can be easily overlooked, because David now knows he's he's acting not on his own as from the previous singular pronouns. But he's acting on behalf of the entire representative as God's representative for the covenant of Israel. And we know the rest of the story. David doesn't just walk into battle. He runs straight into it and strikes the head of Goliath with one stone. He doesn't need the other four. Goliath falls. And then David, not having a sword of his own, takes the Goliath's sword and cuts off the giant's own head with it. The Israelites chase the Philistines back to their territory and plundered the camp and secure a great victory as Goliath's head is taken back into Jerusalem as a testament to God's victory. So faith seizes the victory promised by God. So, that begs the question, what is the application of this story? Is it for us to go out and have faith like David? I think there could certainly be made an argument for that. We all need to continue to grow in our faith and and, and act thereupon. But even that in itself is missing a key component. You see, because I think this narrative points us to something far greater, specifically a person, the greater David, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who came to earth temporarily laying aside all of his earthly and eternal glory that was due to him. And he took on flesh as God's anointed king, who fulfilled all the covenant requirements through his life and sacrificial death and was thus able to bring us into that new covenant with him. Even as Gentiles, we've been made part of God's covenant people, which Paul makes clear in Romans 11, and as we've studied several times throughout the book of Acts. Christ, who refused all earthly means of victory, so much so that he was despised and rejected by men. He was hailed as a king during his triumphal entry and rode on a donkey as people laid down the branches before him. But just a week later, during his crucifixion, they mocked him as a king, as a king, as they... As they mashed a crown of thorns onto his head. And they put a royal robe on him, which they ripped off of him. And put the sign above him saying, King of the Jews. And now, after his death and resurrection, he sits exalted at the right hand of God the Father. One day coming again to take his place as the rightful place on the Davidic throne. And through faith in Christ and repentance unto life, he makes us partakers of the new covenant with him. You see, we too far too often read this story and put ourselves in the place of David. And that's where so many times this goes wrong. We put ourselves in the place of David. And the sermons and the books and everything else tell us how to defeat the giants in our life by looking at the things that David did. However, I would propose to you, we are not David. We are not David. We are the unbelieving observers. We're the unbelieving observers, sitting around in fear and sorrow. We're Eliab, his older brother. We're Saul. We're the people of the army of Israel that too often sit in unbelief, even though we are God's covenant people. We have the promises of God. We have the means of grace. But we too often live in dismay at the armies arrayed against us. But praise God. We have a greater David to whom we can look to in faith to fight our battles for us. Do you see, Christ is the greater David. Christ is the greater David. So we have faith in Christ as our king. We have faith in Christ as our king. And I think the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 26, and the answer to it is printed in your bulletin. But the question asks, how does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. So, how are we to then live? We live in faith. As people of the covenant, as he fights for us, knowing that our victory is assured. So we don't need to go out and face our giants. Because we can never have enough courage We can never have enough preparation. We can never have enough positive outlook or whatever else the stones mean that people use from this story to tell us how to go out and face the giants. We need someone to face our giants for us. We need a champion. We need a man in the middle. Now make no mistake, all of us in this room have giants in our life this morning. We have giants of fear, of worry, of guilt, of, of anger, of problems in our relationships, of finances, struggles against sin, problems that we may have with people at work, illness and disease that some of us are facing, doubts, bitterness, addiction, loneliness, and pride. What I would say to you this morning is look to your champion, Christ our King, as he fights the giants in your place. How do we do this? We strengthen ourselves in the word of God. We strengthen ourselves through the sacraments. We strengthen ourselves in prayer, knowing that they're the effectual means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of our redemption that he's already secured. The assurance of pardon we read this morning, that didn't sound like a king. That sounded like someone who took a horrible beating. But that was Christ already defeating the greatest giant in our life that of spiritual death and separation from God. The final enemy, physical death, awaits its defeat as Christ will one day come again to make all things new in a new heaven and a new earth. Thus, we can live in the here and the now, in hope and not fear. So this morning, may we be strengthened in the covenant. May we shun the ways of man. May we seize the victory promised to us by God. And may we look in faith to Christ, our King, as he is our champion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are indeed your covenant people. We thank you for Christ, our Redeemer, and our King, who has made the new covenant and participation in the new covenant with him possible. I pray that the Spirit would continue his work in our lives this morning to remind us of these truths and to build us up in our faith. Jesus, name